decide it all. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode five here in the Untimed Down podcast. And despite my enthusiasm right now in this introduction, you'll be surprised to find out that deep within this enthusiasm is a lot of heartbreak and disappointment. Um, but nonetheless, we're here and we're here to break this thing down. Casey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I mean, with the exception of yesterday, can't do any better, right? <laughs> hey, I mean, for, at least in your case, I'd say that um, it shouldn't come as uh, too much of a surprise at this point. But in my case, I mean, wow. Uh, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, eh, it was a rough, rough pill, tough pill to swallow, um, especially being from this area. And um, knowing the repercussions that come with losing to uh, the team that's just across the, uh, you know, highway from us. But yeah. yeah. So, all right. But we're here to break this down. This was week 13. So crazy to think that after everything this year has been like and the uncertainty that came with um, whether or not the season would be happening and in what capacity we're now four weeks left until the playoffs, which is wild. So we'll break down week 13 here and um, a lot of playoff implications, especially with this first game. I'll kick this off. Now we got the Browns who were traveling to take on the Titans, two teams that were uh, in playoff positions. And let me just start off by saying, wow. And I said, coming into this game, my big wonder was if how, and if Mike Vrabel would be, uh, you know, kind of, zeroing in on Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And that seemed to be the game plan because it, it became clear from the get-go that uh, Mike Vrabel basically said, Baker, if we're going to lose to you guys, we're losing to you. Like he made the Browns beat them with Baker. And that's exactly what happened. This was probably Baker's best game of the season. And this was Baker's best game. And Honestly, I could go as far as to say since his rookie year to be quite – if ever, honestly. Okay. Because, yep. Hands down. Yeah. So, Tennessee, we know what to expect with them, but I think this was a Cleveland signature win. They own a win over the Colts, but it was an ugly win. They've got some other wins, you know, on their schedule, but this right here was Cleveland's, uh, you know, signature win, their statement win. They really just came out from the opening snap and just basically – Pull the Tennessee on Tennessee, which is imposing their will on them and just like smacking them around, which we haven't seen happen in Tennessee too often. So um, big win for Cleveland and Tennessee's pass rushing issues um, continue to uh, be a problem. Yeah, and um, first things first, props to the Browns. Uh, they actually swept the AFC South, which is the first time since they were – um, relegated to the uh, not relegated, but rather it's changed to the AFC North, uh, which means 2002. So first time they've swept any division in 18 years. Uh, Baker Mayfield looked electric, and probably one of the most interesting facts. Q, you would have argued say a QB rating of 70 isn't really good, but any time that Baker Mayfield had a QBR of over 70 this year, he's actually won a game. So, so the nine games he won, he was over 70, and the three games they lost, they were he was under. So even though we look at Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb as the go-to guys, uh, him opening up the uh, passing game helps them establish themselves. On the other hand, uh, surprised at the uh, output 
really of that um, of that Tennessee line. Uh, they were really pressured, especially on the uh, run. And obviously, we couldn't see um, we couldn't see the run game get established too well. On the other hand, Corey Davis had a nasty game. You know, 185 yards, one touchdown. He's probably the big highlight of this. And Tannehill, by stat stat line, played an excellent game. Just they couldn't amount to anything, especially with how amazing the Browns played that first half. Yeah, um, the Browns kind of like controlled the entire first half and then just went on autopilot, I felt like, for the second because they built like so much of a lead already. But, um, I mean, you look at the final score and you'd think it's like an all-time classic, um, but it really wasn't. Um, if you, if, for those who paid attention to the game, it was pretty much clear who was going to win through uh, two quarters at least. But, yeah, Cleveland uh, clinches their first winning season. Obviously, you got to get to the playoffs, too. I mean, they're not content with just having a winning season, right? But, um, yeah, they're 9-3, they're and three, and... They got a game with the Jets still remaining on their schedule. So at the very least, in all likelihood, Cleveland could be looking at a 10-win season, which is huge for them and their uh, franchise and just the city in general. I mean. Yeah, and we know how hyped the city gets the moment they get anywhere near the playoffs uh, with the Cavs and the Indians in the World Series and all that. So it's going to be a good day for a dog pound. But And I, I want to point something out before you go. If the playoffs were to start right now, we'd be getting this matchup again in the first round. Which I feel that, uh, and we have talked about this separately, uh, Mike Vrabel would be much more prepared. Right. (laughs) But talking about a combination of ill-prepared and poor management, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders edging out the Jets in what would be actually our playbook discussion of the week. And I'm ready to tackle this from the first time from both sides. You know, oftentimes we talk about the offensive play portion, but I would like to talk it from a defensive perspective. Um, A few things to highlight, though, is that despite Ruggs' uh, game-winning touchdown, he was very inconsistent coming into this game, and he's been kind of up and down. And a huge thing that you're starting to notice with Vegas is that they're starting to have a small drop in performance. You know, nothing against Derek Carr. Or anything like that, but it just seems like they've taken a, a half a step down, and that half a step may keep them out of the playoffs. Uh, you have the Jets. Sam Darnold is—he had a better game, uh, much better game, but he's still just so inconsistent as a quarterback. And um, the tank for Trevor is still on, you know. But finally, and one of the best things in my uh, NFL. Uh, interest is Greg Williams and him never being on an NFL team again and uh, just happened to, that he was fired the day after like not many people leave the game and say hey pack your bags you know <laughs> at least from a, from a coaching perspective and especially that now he makes it what I think that's the sixth or seventh coach offensive or defensive or head that got fired before Adam Gase so Adam Gase um, is the longevity uh, coach of the year. <laughs> There's no way. He, I don't think – I think the only person who might take – will get fired before this is Anthony Lynn. But we'll talk about that when the uh, Chargers game comes around. 
Right. The big story, obviously, coming out of this is going to be the Jets. But I want to talk about the Raiders for a second because despite winning this game on arguably what I might consider the Jets throw in the game, like, to be completely honest with you, um, despite this, and I even said this while watching it, if they somehow were to come out with this win, there's absolutely nothing to be proud of in terms of having to come from behind and beat the Jets like this because now we're starting to see with the Raiders – once their nirvana wears off, which is getting up for those chief games, it's like, this is the analogy I'll use. It's like a guy walking into the gym for chest day, right? And like absolutely killing it and then not showing up to the gym again for five more days. Like that's what I would compare the Raiders to when it comes to their season. They get up for the chief games, right? And then that's it. Like there's no, uh, you know, they, they don't level themselves out. Like we're seeing like just, oh, just such poor football sloppy mistakes inconsistency from the Raiders and it's just puzzling like I had like after watching that chief game like I had high expectations for them and they're just falling flat on their face but I will say that Darren Waller had career day and he's proven consistently to be um one of the top tight ends in the game um, the presence of Josh Jacobs, my boy, who uh, <laughs> both was missed on my fantasy this week um, on this game because he was out. And it looks like he's going to be out again this week. So they need a, and that, that doesn't bode well for them because they have a uh, Indianapolis defense coming to town. We won't we'll talk about that later. But Josh Jacobs, I feel like, is what really gets this team going. And I think uh, when he's on, the Raiders are on and when he's off, they're way off. So, well, here's a game that no one expected to be close next, right? Yeah, um, I'll start this. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I looked at this schedule, man, I uh, I, I looked because there's the NFL playoff machine. It shows you like what happens when you plug in the certain scores and how they play out. Coming into this game, I saw that if Minnesota took care of business at home against Jacksonville, and the Cardinals lost to the Rams that Minnesota would hop into the seventh seed, right? Which obviously it happened, but I don't think anybody expected it to be uh, this close. And I think these pesky Jaguars, man, like, oh my God. <laughs> it's been cons- they're consistently consistent when it comes to giving teams problems, but like not finishing the deep. Like, we've been honestly seeing this for weeks, like weeks on weeks. Houston. Lost to on a two-point conversion. Green Bay came down to the end in Green Bay. Cleveland came down to a two-point conversion that they couldn't convert and lost again. And now they're going to overtime with the Vikings. I don't know if this says more about the Jaguars' heart or more about the Vikings in, like, playing down to competition. I know they missed a field goal at the end that could have won, but still. Um, but, yeah, having Adam Thielen back was big. Um, Justin Jefferson, man, I think honestly now after this week might be offensive rookie of the year, potentially. Um, and yeah, I think Minnesota has now firmly put themselves in great position to make the playoffs. I know they got a couple tough games down the stretch, but credit to the Jaguars for continuing to fight despite not having, you know, much to really look forward to. And the Vikings, I mean, just got to find a way to level themselves out, you know, like 
they're winning, but <laughs> not with style points. I'll say that. Yeah, and um, going back to what you said about Jefferson, I mean, Justin Jefferson is a – I mean, there's no other way to put it. He's probably the best wide receiver in the draft. Um, obviously, CD was looking good behind um, – was looking good behind Dak Prescott. And, um, you know, Jerry Judy, in some respects, uh, Rieger – just kind of fell flat. But Justin Jefferson has been putting up stupid numbers um, and probably the guy, the kid that's actually somewhat carrying the team. You know, we can always reference, you know, Adam Thielen. We can always, rep, uh, um, you know, the tight end situation over in Minnesota. But Jefferson has really been making the bigger plays. That's huge. One thing that I do have to note is the Jaguars did very well because the defense took a huge hit in uh, warm-ups. Kendricks actually – I think got a serious calf injury, and he might be out for the rest of the year. So you lost an all, all pro, uh, you know, linebacker. So that's that's a huge hit, especially on this level of stretch going into the playoffs. Um, but pro- also props to Jacksonville for um, on the defensive side. We can talk about the offense, but their pass rush looks so much better, and you know the di- the. Vikings have a somewhat decent line, so to see them perform the way they did was good. But the biggest issue is that on that offensive side, they got to protect the ball. They give up too many takeaways, and it's you just see that. You know, we can talk about their two point conversion issues and all that, but I feel like it's them giving up the ball unnecessarily is what's really killing them from like at least getting a, one or two more wins under their belt. Um, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know about the uh, Kendricks thing. That's huge because they lost their other uh, stud linebacker, Anthony Barr, earlier for the, in the year out for the entire season as well. So, I mean, Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota um, this year at least, their defense obviously hasn't been uh, what's been carrying them. But still, I mean, I think that a bend but don't break defense – is at the very least um, very serviceable. And I think that taking Kendricks out of the equation makes this a whole lot harder for them now with uh, some of their games that they have to deal with down the stretch here. So we'll see, I guess. Yeah. And um, looking, you know, looking at the, um, on the defensive side of things, Dolphins still getting things done. Um, uh, I mean, the biggest highlight of this game uh, the two biggest highlights comes from the uh, Miami, I think. Right? Um, Gasicki with that beautiful stretched out catch. I mean, I believe it was actually ESPN's top, the number one top 10 play of the week, which, I mean, from an athletic perspective, you know, like I, I'll be playing, probably playing pickup football this weekend with my friends. And every, every long throw, I'm going to be trying to do that <laughs> because that. It was such an incredible athletic display, and especially in traffic, um, just shows you how good their how good their offense can be when they put their mind to it. But also good on Brian Forbes for that Michael Thomas hit, um, the set second hit that happened. If people don't know, there was a brawl between the uh, Bengals and the Dolphins after Michael Thomas hit. I forget who the punt returner or kick returner was, but it was the second hit. And um, Brian Flores came out raging against um, uh, raging at the Bengals uh, bench because 
it's the second time. But here's the crazy part about it. Um, two uh, two Dolphins players and a Be- uh, Bengals player got um, got uh, ejected. Ejected, but Michael Thomas did not. Michael Thomas was able to stay in there despite having two personal, um, like severe, um, like severe, like penalties. And honestly, it's a borderline malicious. You, you can argue and say it wasn't, but the fact that the referees had to get to that point is extremely disappointing. Uh, Cincinnati just can't get momentum without Burrow. Um, and it kills me because, you know, it's a team that is probably going to turn out a win next week. <laughs> but we'll talk about that then. <laughs> uh, <that's- laughs> wow. So... For those who uh, paid attention a couple weeks ago, will know about my uh, really um, hot take about picking up the Dolphins' uh, defense against the Broncos. That obviously like didn't do me any wonders, but I will, you know, inform those listening right now that I actually, in fact, re gave a chance. I, you know, put my uh, ego aside. I was willing to compensate. I was like, Dolphins, I forgive you. I'll put you in my lineup this week. And you know what happened? They did me wonders. So for that, the story is the Dolphins' fantasy defense. You're – no, okay. <laughs> Forget my fantasy <laughs> team. Nobody cares. All right, let's talk about the game. Scratch that. Um, Miami continues on defense to pretty much the last couple weeks. And I guess you could say for most of the season has been their backbone. Um, I was a little disappointed to see Tua um, come back into the lineup. I'm not going to lie. Like I really wanted to see them ride this thing out with Fitzpatrick. And I don't know if that's just like the adrenaline junkie, like, because uh, <laughs> I don't know, just feel like Fitzpatrick. And for a lot of fans, like they could like relate to him. I don't know what it is. Like, a lot of fans, I feel like, live vicariously through Fitzpatrick because I feel like he's a fan that's playing football. I, that's, oh, that's my the honest best comparison I've heard. You know, and also people want to see the Fitz magic or Fitz tragic. You know, everyone lives for drama. Right, yeah. So Miami continues to win and take care of business. They're still a young team that's pretty much way ahead of schedule. Um but now we're going to see if they can hang with the big boys because they got Kansas City coming into town this week. They also have the Raiders on their schedule remaining. They've got a rematch with New England, and they got to go to Buffalo week 17. So they're 7-4 and four right now, and they got 8-4 and four, eight and four right now. Four, I stand yeah. corrected. With four games that are not going to exactly be um, cakewalk down the stretch here. So we're going to see really what they could probably finish as high as. I'm thinking 10 and 6. Um, As high as 10 and 6. As high as 10 and 6 and maybe as low as. 8 and 8. I think they could lose out. Honestly, it's it's not unrealistic. Yeah, it's honestly not. They haven't blown me away the last few weeks. Like they're winning. aside from Denver, but I'd say since the Arizona game, they haven't been blowing me away. Yeah. So um, let's talk about easily probably your favorite team to talk about this year. The Colts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd, ar- I'd argue that the Texans are yours. <laughs> uh, no. Nah. 
I love seeing people slowly collapse, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the Colts got their big guy in the middle back, actually a few big guys in the middle. They were down both these tackles against um, Tennessee. So you love mm-hmm. to see that. Um, they had Jonathan Taylor back who, I mean, I'm not crazy about, but just another weapon in the fold. Um, yeah. Houston put up an admirable fight. I'll say that much despite being down most of their receivers. I mean, already being down Deandre Hopkins and that brutal trade was, I mean, we don't have to even say any more on it. Like that's already not been said, but not having him from the start, but you at least had four receivers that I feel like collectively, if you throw them all together, you might be able to have like a 10th of uh, Deandre Hopkins so, um, and then, and then you subtract three of them, which Cobb's on IR stills gets cut and a fuller suspended. You just have Brandon cooks who I believe got hurt as well, or was hurt coming into the game. Um, so brutal, but they still managed to make this thing a game up until the end. And, uh, Houston, I mean, not Houston, Indianapolis took care of business on the road. They get a big win and a big bounce back loss from a kind of ugly performance the week before keep themselves in pace to make the playoffs and they got a big um finish to their season coming up soon as well they actually have the raiders this week um they're gonna see houston again and they actually go to pittsburgh um at the end of the season as well so big implications on the line for them as well yeah, and uh, the few players I want to highlight, obviously Jonathan Taylor, when he's playing, has been a, uh absolute like necessity for this Indianapolis team to get have Philip Rivers be able to open up the passing game as well. Uh, but good, good, good thing to see T.Y. Hilton performing the way he did. Like easily one of my one of my more favorite receivers historically, and to see him at, like. People, some people were probably like, wait, he's still in the league? And uh, he came out actually killing it. But, but you know what I got to bring up the point here is, and if you look at YouTube too, and although, I mean, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not very much in the uh, inner circle that is the, you know, horseshoe uh, fan base, but the running gag from hearing in the, grape, the grapevine is that T.Y. Hilton, they call NRG Stadium, T.Y. Hilton Stadium, and there's actually a video on YouTube showing every single compilation highlight throughout his career against the Texans. He owns them every single time since he's been in the league. I am not kidding. You can check the video. T.Y. Hilton, like, is the father of the Houston Texans. Like, it is mind-blowing how he gets up for their game. We haven't seen the connection between him and Phillip all year. But there's one common denominator here, and it's the Houston Texans and T.Y. Hilton. Death, taxes, and T.Y. owns the Texans. And it was really good to see him throw up the T.Y. Uh, celebration for the, what I would say, one of the first times in a really long time. Yeah, and um, on the back end of this, if I am Deshaun Watson, if I am J.J. Watt, I am absolutely furious with this team. Um I mean, to lose in such a way, right? Like a, a bad snap. Like you're. I understand it's 
a high pressure situation, but to lose on a bad snap, they can't get, they're not getting anything going. And obviously it's because they're missing out on receivers and all that, but you got nothing, man. And I'm not surprised that JJ is going to probably opt out. If he's lucky, I'll, if he's lucky, he'll end up in the place where he can get a, uh, get a, uh, a trophy because I would love to see him get that. People are saying, oh, he might end up in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh doesn't have the cap space for him. Dallas. But it's, but to see him with his uh, – oh, don't even say Dallas. I would not wish that on anyone right now. Um, <laughs> but quite quite frankly, um, quite frankly, um, one of the things that I really still surprised me, even when Houston's defensive production is poor, I mean, he's at least registering sacks still. I think he was actually the top tackler as well as the only, one of only two people who sacked Rivers. Um, so, like, when you're the top producer for your team – and you're consistently performing well, and you're one of the an MVP candidate, uh, you know, for at the quarterback position. And on both sides of the ball, you two are the only two doing things. You can't be help but be super frustrated. So it's it's going to be a rough road for the uh, Texans um, going forward. But uh, the people who immediately – I mean, the Texans did get better after Vale O'Brien. But for the team that immediately got better as soon as their coach left, let's talk about the Detroit Lions. Um, I mean, they're obviously missing DeAndre Swift. Um, but even without DeAndre Swift, they look much better without Matt Patricia. It's it's almost like night and day. So to give you an idea, uh, they scored 34 points in this game against the Bears. We scored 30. It was, you know, a relatively – it was a um, good game, but absolutely heartbreaker at the end. Um, you know, you it, everyone's going to quickly blame Matt Nagy, but it's not Nagy's fault. It's almost like blaming Nagy for Cody Parker. Double. to on uh, Comcast was uh, was basically saying like um, no because this is probably the best customer service I've ever had like straight wow. up yeah and then I'm talking to this dude he's like yeah I've been I've been uh, I've been working this he's like I've been working this field since uh, the first Apple computer came out I'm like fuck 84 shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but he uh but he gave me all these things and he's like yeah you I don't know why they have not contacted you about getting a new modem but you definitely need to get a new uh new modem because everything is fucked up. Mm. But, um, all right, you could uh, start where you left off then about uh, blaming Cody Parker. Yeah, you're good. Okay, excellent. So. You know, everyone's quick to blame Matt Nagy for all of these issues, but I mean, it's the same thing with Cody Parkey. You just can't blame the coach when people are not performing. You know, we, we can argue and say, hey, you know, were the play calls wrong? Yes, no, but you have to finish this game. And props to the Lions for um, pulling out 34 points because when Matt Patricia was the coach in his entire tenure, they've only scored 35 points once, and they managed to do 34 in the first game without him. So clearly the offense production is there. 
it was just poor play calling. Yeah, and <laughs> nobody else seems to really care, but I have a soft spot for Chicago. So to see them lose in heartbreaking fashion, it's almost like me losing in heartbreaking fashion, all right? Because I saw that for another week in a row, Trubisky puts the team on his back, man, and gives these guys an offense. Like, it bothers me in my core that the Bears' defense all of a sudden now has disappeared. The coaching staff has just given up. And Trubisky is the only guy that seems to be giving a shit right now. And coincidentally he, enough, he's the one that was shit on by everybody for uh, the entirety of the first beginning of the season, despite starting 3-0 and and getting benched. And despite the last two games now that they've lost where their defense has completely just disappeared, um, and everyone else around them showing absolute terrible sense of urgency. Um, the analogy that I could use here in which the Bears played their best offensive performance of the season despite still losing in you know, heartbreaking fashion, I'm just going to put it lightly. This isn't the analogy. The offensive line sucks, like, truthfully. Like, <laughs> I could have used, like, a more sophisticated way of wording this. Their offensive line sucks. Like, flat out. They let up a strip sack at the end that's just inexcusable and just shouldn't have happened. And that's what set up Detroit's winning score. Um, they really got to upgrade that in the offseason. Like, ASAP. Sure, quarterback's a big thing. I could even argue that if they get their defensive shit figured out and just upgrade their offensive line, pay Allen Robinson, like, the turnaround is not that far away. Like, honestly... Um, and the analogy is like Chicago is the person that's, you know, pretty well versed. They're in like, you know, a friend group of yours. They're not like at the top of the pecking order, but you really love them. They don't hurt nobody. But if anything bad happens to them, like everyone's just like, oh, that's unfortunate. And like, they just, that's pretty much it. That's basically the analogy I'd use to describe the bears sucks. What's going on. Cause they really should have won this game. And they still have a favorable schedule down the stretch. And that seventh seed, man, ah, oh, like it's right there for the taking. But I don't know. It, it seems like they're done. It wouldn't shock me if they honestly lost out, like to be completely honest with you. Yeah, and um, ultimately, interesting fact, all four NFC East, uh, NFC North contenders are actually can get into the playoffs, which is something incredible to think about. But um, – Man, just the last point I'm going to make is the charm of the Bears, I think, rests with Mike, Mike Ditka and uh, the, the sweet love of the uh, 80s and uh, 90s Bears. So let's hopefully let's hope that the, uh, the 85 Bears defense comes back and uh, <laughs> does some work here because otherwise I'll say this much. Detroit, you guys showed some signs of toughness and grit that we haven't seen uh, in pretty much since Patricia's been there. So do me a favor this week. You got a home game. You got some momentum. Please show up and maybe uh, surprise Green Bay for me. Um, that'd be kind of nice. Um, <laughs> you, may, you may have your own reasons for that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, you know. <laughs> but let's, uh, let's get into this next game now, which... I picked Atlanta to win this just, you know, 
because I, I felt like it was a trap game. And it basically went the same way as the first time they played, honestly. Pretty much an identical game. But Atlanta still, you know, continues to fight and keep things close. And pretty much what I said in regards to Drew Brees getting hurt has come to fruition. I said that they wouldn't miss a beat. And that's pretty much what's happened. Um, the Saints, honestly, look like the most complete team in the NFC. and. In terms of production right now with how that defense is playing, I'd say they might be the most consistent team in the entire league, like honestly. Um, would not shock me that if, if and when Drew comes back and he's fine, that they beat Kansas City. I think they would be Pittsburgh right now. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much what, all i got to say in this game. Atlanta continues to fight, fall short, but expected. Um and New Orleans just continues to flex their, uh, you know, muscles, I guess you could say, in the sense of, like, they, we've got better depth than you, and you're not going to do anything about it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> interesting fact about um, Drew Brees, uh, or rather the lack of Drew Brees uh, throughout his entire tenure at – does this freeze again? No, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's – uh, for those viewers that are listening, if you hear me cut off, uh, which you probably won't, um, make sure that you find yourself a good internet provider. But that being <laughs> said, um, you know, without Drew Brees, they're still in now, historically, which is crazy. You know, with Teddy Bridgewater and um, now Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill with uh, showing that he actually can pass the ball a little bit. Um, and you mentioned about their defense, but... I feel like the Saints secondary is going to be an issue for them uh, coming into when they're playing tougher teams. Uh, I feel like that they look good, and they did a great job, especially against Tampa Bay. But um, I feel like that's if there's any problem that they're going to have, it's their secondary. On the other hand, I like I like the direction of Atlanta. I mean, not many people are going to say it, but it, it's a team that still kind of aged out a little bit. You know, your your two best your two best offensive players are Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. I mean, yeah, both of them have been in the league for, you know, some quite some time. And though there's veteran experience there, veteran experience doesn't mean a faster game. And they just need to get a little bit faster. But let's talk about who I imagine to be the all-pro kicker this year, and that's Young Hoku. <laughs> Always coming in clutch. We, I know how much you love him and – you know, as a New Jersey native, you got to respect how amazing he's looked this year. It's automatic, you know, and especially for a year where special teams has not looked good across the league. Um, this this is one kicker that definitely stands out. And I, I think as a New Jersey native as well, you have to admire the fact of his journey. I mean, for God's sakes, he was on a highway overnight going to New Brunswick to pick up White Castle sliders in one of the most wildest adventures that we've seen in quite some time. <laughs> and then to do that, <laughs> to drop everything that he was doing at the time and then just going up and become an NFL kicker, um, it's just a remarkable story. So for that alone, I mean, gosh. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, between that and think about it, the guy that he went to uh, White Castle with, right? Right? Yeah. His... his he, 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 he was a guy who worked on the White House 
Well, he went he 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 went to get White Castle with the White House staff. Man, quality there. <laughs> quality burgers too, might I add. So I'm actually not going to start off this next game because I want to experience um I want the listeners to experience uh, a true perspective of the game. A, a purely non-biased perspective. No, not at all. <laughs> Why would I? Um yeah, so I'm just going to be completely transparent um, as possible right now. Um, honestly, in terms of losses and being a fan, I'd say I'd go as far as to say that this is only second or third to the Super Bowl loss to New England. Um, and this is arguably in terms of performances, the ugliest under the Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson era. Um, and normally looking at a five-point loss, you're like, yeah, well, I mean, if that's your worst loss, then I mean, gosh. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but everybody, media, everybody was saying, wow, Seattle's got this easiest schedule down the stretch. They're going to win out. They're going to go 13-3, and right? This Giants have a backup running back. I mean, well, yeah, backup running back. Saquon's been out all year. Daniel Jones isn't playing. It's in Seattle. Like, this is going to be ugly fast. Like, and no, no, uh, you know, slight towards the Giants. I want to give them all their credit where it's due to that defense. And Joe Judge, I think, is a great coach. Um, realistically speaking, though, like, this is a demoralizing loss on all fronts. Just not only from a psyche, from a team standpoint, because it really ma- makes you now look at yourselves and think, like, what are we? Like, you re- like, ugh. like this, this is the kind of game that, like, sets you guys back, like, very far. Because now not only did we lose control over the division yet again, we're now pretty much barring, you know, anything crazy that happens. It's going to take a miracle to get the one seed. That I'd pretty much consider that out of the books right now. And honestly, I mean, it's probably going to be hard to even get the two seed right now. So at best, we're looking at just trying to win our division somehow. Um, and yeah, I, this offensive line that was playing pretty well in the beginning and offense in general is just completely just disappearing like overnight. Like honestly, like there's no excuse. Like there needs to be accountability meetings held ASAP by P. Carroll, and we just got to make guys accountable on offense. You know, I know the defense did it. Um, Ken Norton had all those guys kind of like, and we saw them kind of play better. I mean, yeah, you could look at the stats and say that they gave up like, you know, whatever amount of yards rushing, but that was more of just like, like chipping away. Like the defense bended a bit, but they didn't break. And I think that the defense is the only reason we were in this game. Like, honestly, credit to the Giants' um, defense. Like, they're talented. They clearly play hard. But there's no excuse why at home with the amount of offensive weapons that we have that we're putting up 12 points against the New York Giants and really losing a game um, that we honestly should have won. And between that and the Arizona game the first time, that's what's going to ultimately doom our season, which looked like um, very promising. I don't. I, honestly, I, it wouldn't shock me if – Aside from winning the Jet game and maybe the 49er game, wouldn't shock me if we go 2-2 two and two down the stretch. Like, I could honestly see us losing to Washington 
um, in Washington, honestly, at this point. So that's all I got to say. Yeah, and um, you mentioned about the run game. You know, props to the Giants. They were smart to use their run game. Um, they recognized that the defense for Seahawks, especially secondary, has gotten a little bit better. I mean, your front seven is always incredible, but they used a run game to uh, really establish. And I'm super happy that Alfred Morris is not only getting touches, but he's getting touchdowns. I loved him as a Cowboy, and I also loved him as a Reds, um, sorry, football team, not Redskins. That is, Well, he uh, was Redskins at the time. Yes, he wasn't part of the Redskins at the time. But uh, needless to say, I really like that he's actually getting some touches. He's got, he got a receiving touchdown and a – and a rushing touchdown. Uh, Wayne Gallman is actually probably one of my more favorite unexpected backs coming into the league. Uh, you know, as a backup to Saquon, he's looked amazing. On the other hand, uh, I've been saying this since week one, week two. Evan Ingram is a flop. And, you know, maybe he's just having an off year. But he's really the, he's the only person who is not allowing this Giants offense to fully connect. I, I personally think he's made some poor plays and plays that have cost him games, cost him easy yardage, easy field position. Um, the, for Seattle, on the other hand, um, their O-line is probably their key point in which they're struggling, I think. Because um, the receivers, I mean, you have some of the most talented receivers in NFC on this one team and behind a MVP caliber quarterback. Um, the hardest thing is that you guys are now second in the NFC West, just based off of, um, based off of, um, that you, you and the Rams have the, um, you have the same, um, Scared, this, uh, record. Same, same, same record. Uh, but you have the same Rams. record for interdivision and specifically you guys, um, they just have more of a plus minus differential, uh, for points. So Right, it's it's crazy to see that the Seahawks, with their MVP caliber quarterback, have um, kind of lost their way a little bit, and it's up to Pete Carroll now to see um, where the disconnect is. And I mean, credit to him; he's going to be a coach that figures that out. It's hard to say how you guys are going to end off the season, but at least coming, this may have been also potentially a trap game. Who knows? You know, props to, props to the Giants. Yeah, and I, we're going to really see what we're made of these final four weeks. And I don't care about this week. This, what, what, We can come out and win 34-10 to 10 against the Jets, and it won't mean diddly squat to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, It's like the real season for us, obviously we got to come out and look strong against the Jets. Otherwise, I mean, you might as well mail it in. But the real season for us starts the last three weeks – more specifically Washington, who is now turning the corner, and then the Rams, which is probably honestly going to be a division championship game week 16 in Seattle. Um, and then obviously you got to always take the Niners serious. Um, so we're going to really see what we're made of now um, down the end of this season. And, um, yeah, that that's pretty much it. But um, we're getting Josh Gordon back the last two weeks, so who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and uh, now let's speak from the um, other side of the um, the now uh, number one in the West uh, Rams. Uh, good game for Jared Goff, but the one thing that's going to be really painful for them uh, is the Cowboys. Clearly, when they when we took John Fossil 
um, you know, John Bones. It's it's um, it's hurt the Rams a lot. Their special teams need a lot of work. Like this was a game that they obviously it was a clear win for them. Arizona had poor offensive production, and right now the Cardinals are actually out of the playoff pick. Um, but with that being said, you know the Rams' the special team might cost them a bit. And I think if they do make it to the playoffs, it's going to possibly be the thing that gets them out of the playoffs. Uh, if if Jared Goff does, um, you know, because Sean McVay basically said you got to protect the ball, you got to make smarter choices. In the last two weeks, he has. But um, you know, how consistent can Goff be? And that's the question that we have to say. Uh, like like we said, that Week 16 game is going to be. A huge one for the NFC West, but you know the Rams as a whole need to make sure that they're consistent on all three sides of the ball. You know, defensively, they're. I mean, Aaron Donald is having an exceptional year. He's actually, I believe, the number two um, in terms of total production, number two defensive player in the NFL right now. But um, only actually behind, if I'm not mistaken, T.J. Watt. So, which. Uh, I look forward to talking about that momentarily, but still, it's interesting to see the uh, nature of um, the Rams in the upcoming weeks. Right, and the Rams, um, they go as far as Jared Goff goes, to be completely honest. Like, Ramsey can do his thing, Donald can do his thing, but really, their season and just their team as a whole hinders on Jared Goff. Like, honestly, when he's, you know poor their team as a whole just falls flat on their face and we saw that in the miami game kind of uh we saw that in the 49er games but um yeah so they're gonna go as far as he you know decides to take him but i want to talk about arizona because a team that was all you know style and you know more style i felt like than substance but was making all these kind of flashy plays in the first half of the year um, has now, for those that haven't been paying attention, has been one and four in the last five. But that one, that one came on what I would pretty much consider now like a uh, fluky Hail Mary. So w- without, uh, you know, that crazy play, they're 0 and five out of their, uh, you know, last five games. And they'd be five and seven right now. Luckily, they're six and six, but they've been on a steady downhill slope, and I think that a lot of that has to do with um, Kyler Murray hurting his shoulder in the Thursday night game because I just feel like he and their team as a whole hasn't been the same since that second Seattle game. Yeah, that's definitely uh, that's definitely going to be the defining feature of this second half of the Cardinals uh, season. Mm. Do you, uh, do you want me to kick off the next one? Yeah. All right. So we got New England versus. I don't know if you could. I don't know if you could really say verse. I'll just say New England, New England. Um, so New England showed up to this game and they ran a you know just a walk through um <laughs> to get to get ready for their. Actually, no. I'm hearing that this was actually a game, folks. I regret to inform you that I'm wrong. This, in fact, was a game. <laughs> no, yeah. All jokes aside, <laughs> all jokes aside um, New England blew out the Chargers in a game in which I predicted the Chargers to win. Um, wow. Me too. Wow. Uh, no words. 
no words. I, I don't even know where to start, like, or if there's a place to start. Um, I know that they have a respect for Anthony Lynn within that organization. So I think that if a move's going to come, I see it coming actually at the end of the season. Um, and this is shocking to me because not him, but like shocking this team that can continuously uh, just like can't get out of their own way. Like their talent, like the last five years or so, like great. Like I, I don't like they have two number one corners. I mean, I don't know if they're injured or what's going on there, but they've got two great receivers. They got running backs. They got offensive linemen. They got defensive linemen. They got linebackers. Like they got they a real rookie pieces, and on top of that, like oh man, like and you have a rookie quarterback who is playing one of the, as one of the best rookie seasons, barring this game, one of the best rookie seasons in history. Maybe only second to Ben Roethlisberger. Right, and right. Uh, honestly, I mean rings matter, but I. Uh, in terms of like the two thousands, I'd say that the Chargers have been the AFC's Cowboys. Fair, fair enough. That's a fair assumption. So, I mean, we'll leave it at that because that's pretty much all we could really discuss on this. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah, New England, I mean, great win, and they're six and six. And I said that they were done after the uh, was it after the Houston game? I think I said that. Um, I said that they were done. Well, <laughs> for those that paid attention to that analogy, it's like looking in the mirror and saying Bloody Mary three times with the lights off, and then you're like, well, is someone going to jump out? Like, that's when you say New England's done. It always comes back to bite you, right? Well, hey, they uh, they got a pretty decently tough schedule. They got to go to L.A. Um, they got to host Buffalo. They got to go to Miami and then the Jets, of course. But three games that are really going to, you know, either tip the scales in their favor or they just missed the playoffs for the first time in a while. So we'll see. Yeah. And props to Bill Belichick. I mean, you, you mentioned Bloody Mary. Um, I feel like it's Bloody Bill. Like yeah, everyone counts out, you know, and people always argue, was it Tom that was the player or was it Bill? Um, both. Honestly, I mean, Tom Brady's ex- a top level quarterback and Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, and so you if you don't count Patriots out at any point in time, that is a poor move. And uh, I did count them out because of the way Justin Herbert has been playing, but this was just bad. And um, going back to the, what I said earlier about the um, Rams, uh, special teams, it's just across the board, um, looked abysmal for Chargers. There's no other way to put it. They looked like absolute trash. Um I mean, I'm glad that the Chargers respect Anthony Lynn. Uh, I know a lot of the fan base you know, still stands behind him at times, uh, even though most of them want him out there. Like he did, you know, he he was able to make something out of nothing when they, you know, at times when they didn't have much. But I think it's time for him to go, and you'll see that at probably the end of the season. Um, but it's uh, – I really – there's no other comments about this game. Uh, congratulations on the stat line, uh, Patriots. And also – um, I believe the record for most rushing touchdowns in the season is 14 by quarterback. That was Cam Noon. And coming into this, after the end of this game, he has 11, so he might break his own record. Oh, what well, would you look at that? 
Yeah, which way on on in in a season that no one expected Cam Newton to do anything, and he really hasn't. At least he's going to break his own record <laughs> for whatever that's worth. But you know, yeah. Uh, but let's talk about this Packers Eagles game. Um, Aaron Rodgers MVP, good obviously, but man, what a monster at times. Um, I think I think it helps that the pass protection has gotten a little bit better for him. Um. Well, not a little bit, a lot better for him. But um, Aaron Rodgers just looks amazing. Probably the craziest fact that I didn't know about is that he's the first. Uh, I don't know if it was this week or last. If I mentioned it last week, um, but he's the first quarterback in NFL history to have five thirty-five um, plus t- uh, passing touchdowns. Like. Mm. You- Think about the names that have gone through the NFL, and there's not been a single player, including people like Drew Brees. There hasn't been a single quarterback to have five seasons of 35 or more passing touchdowns. And um, Aaron Rodgers did it. And what may potentially be a race between him and uh, between him and Patrick Mahomes, but Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the same teams as Mahomes, so that's why I give him credit. Uh, on the other side, Philadelphia finally sits Wentz on the bench. Um, Jay, um, Jalen Hurts gets the, um, look, Jalen Hurts, right? That's his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I always mess up the first name, uh, but Hurts gets to start. Looked actually pretty decent. He'll be starting the next game, which I believe is against New Orleans. Um, <laughs> and the, probably the biggest takeaway that I have from this week is that, um, also Jalen Rieger, um, was a, I think a bad pickup for them. I don't think he bends well with the system. I think he has potential. I think on a different team or like in a different scheme, he's a great receiver. I will never disrespect the dude because he is a great receiver. He's just not doing anything here. And it's um, what they needed in a receiver they don't have with uh, him. Honestly, I mean, I thought that Wentz um, really just uh, has been a dumpster fire, but I, I thought and kicked this around a lot more. Honestly, I think that Philadelphia is failing Wentz. And here's why. I think that you mentioned um, Jalen Rieger. There, if you throw it back a year before, they also drafted a receiver who's done absolutely nothing, Ortega Whiteside, who they took before DK Metcalf, right? So... Couple that with an offensive line that can't stay healthy if their life depended on it, as well as Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson who can't stay healthy. Just their team in general just cannot stay healthy. They got to do something when it comes to their, you know, strength and conditioning and all that's, you know, what I, I don't know how they're going to handle that, but whatever goes into like the uh, nutrition and like everything, all those nine yards. I'm not an expert. Just <laughs> you got to find a way to be healthy. Put it that way. Let me preface that way. Okay. Let's bring it back now. They drafted Jalen Hurts um, despite the fact that, all things considered, Wentz at the end of last year took what basically was a bunch of practice squad backup players and took them to the playoffs. Um, and I feel like the pressure and just the thought of having Jalen Hurts being drafted in the is just done something to Wentz, and I feel like that's just completely thrown off 
his thing. He's got no O line. They've they've given. If I I could be wrong, but I think that the Eagles have given up the most sacks this year. I yeah. Oh yeah. No. And I mean, if if we had what's his name continuing, he would have. Uh, even though it's probably not going to look like that now, if uh once was going to play the entirety of the year, he would have actually set the record for mo- probably most picks and most sacks, uh, combined in a single year. So the, I think that honestly. Wentz has been failed by the Eagles and not vice versa, to be completely honest with you. Um, to preface, I think that I could definitely see a situation in which Wentz is out at the end of the year and then goes to a team like Indianapolis where Frank Reich is, who happens to be his former offensive coordinator, his MVP year, and I could see him in a situation like that absolutely thriving. It's not, it's not actually a bad idea. No, and well, you could probably get a little bit more trade capital for someone like him. And there's there's a few guys that the uh, Eagles could probably pick up or at least get a, a few more mid-rounders. Like, you could probably get a two and a three for him at this point um, because he's still young and he he has MVP caliber with, with the right team. Right. Like, you give him an old offensive line, you know, you got a couple running backs to work with at defense that you can, uh, can depend on. Um, yeah, uh, but I guess we could leave it at that front. That's just my opinion and how I feel about the situation. Um, I guess we can move on to now Denver and Kansas City, in which Denver, man, wow, their red zone defense really uh, showed something that we kind of haven't seen teams do for quite some time, which is, like, keep Kansas City, like, on their heels in the sense of, like, we're not going to let you just, like, come in here and, like, score touchdowns on us. Like, Kansas City had to settle for field goals most of the night. Um, And I think a lot of credit's got to go to Denver here for putting up the fight that they did. And I think that now the Chiefs, people – and I've been a spokesperson for the Chiefs for the entirety of – since back in August when we were talking about them. I was actually the one that said – no, I can't put Baltimore over them. Like, very much still on the Chiefs uh, train. But Kansas City, to me, is just not unbeatable. Like, I wouldn't bet against them. But really, they're just not as unbeatable. Like, people get on Pittsburgh a lot for being unimpressive. and uh, yeah. But Kansas City lately has been doing the same exact thing. Like, they've just... Yeah barely been surviving like against teams like Denver, the Raiders, the Panthers, like Kansas City's been in a similar boat as Pittsburgh. It's just Kansas City's kind of got like the uh Mahomes factor in that offense that kind of like I guess you could say uh levels it out, but yeah. Um Kansas City another win and um yeah. Yeah, and um so, I mean we- the one thing we can highlight is Tyreek Ty- Ty- non-catch-catch. Um, I mean, we've heard Andy Reid's reason for not calling the red, f- you know, not throwing in the red flag. Um, we've, you know, knew that Tyreek had no idea what he was doing. But, um, I mean, quite frankly, you know, <laughs> I love Patrick Mahomes' comments. He's like, you're so good you don't even know when the, you get, when you catch the ball. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, if there's any benefit is that 
Uh, Broncos held them to only 22. Like like you said, that red zone defense is exceptional. And even though Drew Locke has been inconsistent, um, I mean, across the board, the Broncos put up a good game. They were within a, within the less than a touchdown of winning they this game. Winning. They were winning it towards, like, yeah. Yeah, which which is impressive when you think about it because it's a Bron- it's the Broncos team in in a very difficult you know setting, especially with how kind of how their team is in limbo. But the one highlight that I do want to give out is and I always mess up his name. Is it Matt uh, Matcho? Matthew? Matthew? Um, Tyron Ty- Ty- Tyron Matthew. Yeah, it's Tyron Matthew. Okay. I always mess up because I don't know if his last name is French or not. But <laughs> um but Honestly, absolutely exceptional game, and um, he's put up some numbers that you know we haven't seen in a while. He's before you know he got picked up by the uh, Kansas City last year, but he's putting up numbers that he was in uh, at, like in his 2015 season, like Arizona. He has, he already has four interceptions on the year. Um, you know he has 63, t- 63, 65 tackles, uh, 75 total. I mean, he's putting up exceptional numbers, and just to see how well that he played, especially this game, which is actually what I think kept the Broncos out, um, lose, winning this game was his performance. So props to him. And uh, I know we don't get, we don't talk a lot about you know defensive backs in here or safeties, but uh, props to him for really keeping this on the defensive side of the game for the Chiefs because we don't you don't often talk about the defense on the Chiefs. So, but with that being said, um, you know, we go from uh, Chiefs to who was the um, the best team in the AFC, and now you have to question that. You know, they, a big win for Washington, and if there's any person that I love talking about on the on time down, it is my boy, Alex Smith. And Alex Smith, I mean, I've mentioned about – his first play coming back from injury, his first win. And now this solidifies that he is definitely the comeback player of the year. Um, I mean, their defense is shaping up, but offensively to be able to perform against the Steelers' defense, that's the big thing. You can argue and say, okay, the Steelers' offense has, hasn't really had good production, but to play and win against the Steelers' defense is exceptional, and I am so happy for him to come in here and um, – to make work of a team that is, you know, on the defensive side, definitely not overrated. That one of the best defenses in the NFL. Um, Pittsburgh um, could have po- probably actually won this game if it wasn't for the scheduling problems in the previous weeks, I think. Uh, I really messed up with their entire game plan. But the biggest pain for them, I think, is the wide receivers just dropping so much. I've never seen – the. The amount of drops I see this year is like watching the Eagles and the Cowboys last year, where, I mean, I think the Eagles collectively last year had something like 35 or 40 drops, and it's getting close to that with the Steelers this year. Um, You know, you, you have to say to yourself, you know, if people are going to be like, oh, you know, does Big Ben deserve comeback? You know, the wide receivers aren't making any – uh you know, aren't making any uh, amends to solidify that argument. Right. The uh, Washington, I love the makeup of this team. Like, honestly, like, you build a foundation around that defensive line. Like, 
they have the best defensive line in football, like top to bottom. Um, they're turning the corner, man. Like I honestly believe right now, if they were to get in, like I could very well see them winning a playoff game. And honestly, even potentially in the second round, giving a team like a game, like I'm not saying they're gonna like run them, you know, Cinderella carpet run and like do something crazy like that, but they could definitely win a playoff game and put up a fight in another, in my opinion, because we see traditionally and historically there's one constant when it gets to this time of year. Weather gets colder, conditions get tougher, settings get bigger. Defense and run game are the only things that are certain that can travel in any weather. So that's what I'm saying is the makeup of this team, and I know they lost Antonio Gibson, their running back, um, with a little bit of a – he had his toe dinged up. I don't know what that's going to look like. But, I mean, they got some other guys that, like, stepped up and uh, maybe could, you know – collectively hold down the fort um but man just for alex smith's sake like i really hope that they win this division like obviously i root for the cowboys for the most part but realistically speaking like and we'll get into it like they're done so we i think this is now a two-team race and man oh i really 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 want the redskins in the playoffs washington football team in the playoffs so as I was thinking about this as you're mentioning this. This is actually currently this is the complete inverse of what I had said in our first podcast about the um what we thought the outlook was going to be. I said the Cowboys, Eagles, football team, Giants was going to be the order, and now it's the complete inverse, and nobody thought that was going to be the case. And it's pretty impressive, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the NFC East. For once, I actually look forward to the NFC East and seeing how it ends because you actually have two teams in the Giants and the football team where their defense is actually setting the tone against certain teams that are, aren't are bad. And now you have to say, okay, well, how is this going to translate to them possibly in the playoffs? Right. Like, going into this week, if you would have told someone um, that your Super Bowl prediction would have been Pittsburgh versus Seattle, they probably wouldn't laugh at you, right? And then you just see two NFC East teams just kind of hit them in the mouth, essentially. (laughs) That's a a great point to make, actually. So, we we can uh, get into this um, next game now, which you want uh, me to take it, or you got this, Buffalo and Sam? Yeah, go ahead, man. So, I'm a big Buffalo Bills guy. (laughs) And I'm not a big San Francisco guy. So this outcome very much warmed my heart um, in every way, shape, and form. Um, You know, going into the year, everyone kind of assumed that Buffalo's defense, which from the last two seasons, if you paid attention, um, have been their, you know, kind of bread and butter. And they kind of thought that that would be their, uh, what they would lean on this year. But they've kind of had a slow start. And I was a little puzzled as to why, considering they had most, pretty much all their defense back. They even added some pieces, too, that fit in perfect. Um, but I think that that was a combination of the offseason in general, maybe lack of training camp um, and no preseason. I think all defenses in general just started pretty slow. Um, so now we've been seeing in the recent weeks, Buffalo's defense is back, ladies and gentlemen. They're now turning the corner. And they're showing basically what we saw now 
the last couple seasons where even if they're bend but don't break, with how their offense is playing, that's all you really need. With, with an explosive offense and a bend but don't break defense, I'd say 90% of the time you win the game. Um, yeah. That being said, Josh Allen, man, I think that he's got to be in somewhat um, – I'm not sure if he'll get a vote or not, but I'd say he needs to be at least an honorable mention in the MVP. And honestly, I'd go as far as to say he's third right now in MVP. I can see I can see um... – I can see uh, Mahomes at one, Rodgers at two, Allen at three. That's that's a reasonable call there. Um, I mean, look at it. 375, four touchdowns, um, you know, and he's been consistently playing similar to that. It's not, not like it's the first game where he looks like that. It's But the one thing I want to highlight is actually Kyle Shanahan and his recent play, play calling his decisions. Um, you gave – you're, you're not really utilizing the run game at all. And especially when Nick Mullins is not performing or what Jimmy G is actually in, he's not performing. Um, you know, you have to utilize the run game. Like you have to make sure that you can at least open up some space because, or at least be cons- persistent. I hate that the new mind, uh, the, the new style of, um, run direction is hey we're gonna we're gonna check the first quarter if we can't establish a run game then we're gonna do nothing but passing and you see that with a lot of teams and I do not like that because you hit them with the run tire out that uh, that front seven tire out that front seven to give your quarterback some more time in the second half I feel like Kyle Shanahan has it kind of backwards and I could be you know once again not a professional opinion on that but. You know, when you have someone like Nick Mullins who's not doing anything, really. Um, 49ers are the team that I least expected to be where they are now. Um, and it's more so, I think, just because of the poor play calling. But across the board, it wasn't a bad game. I mean, we, we knew the Bills were going to win, but um, it wasn't at too bad of a game. Right, I think I don't. I don't know. Forty Niners are five and seven. I mean, the seventh seed seems to be pretty much still up for grabs, but I don't really know if the Forty ers can fully uh, take that. And the Bills, I'll just say this much: right now, they're my dark horse AFC contender. Like I'll go as far as to say that they're the most complete team right now in the AFC. Yeah, whereas you thought the Saints were for getting to see um, builds on both sides of the ball look exceptional. Right, like I could honestly, well, I mean, and we'll get into it because it ties into kind of next week, but I could see the Bills um, going to the Super Bowl, honestly. And, and like, I I don't even say that in, like, a wishful thinking kind of way. Like, I genuinely could see that being the case. Yeah. And, um, you know, on the other hand, with the following AFC team, uh, it's kind of a hit or miss recently. I mean, Ravens, for the first time in a while, played fundamental football, I think. It, lo- it was at its core. It was great, great football. Um, and you can't really be disappointed. I mean, obviously, the biggest downside that I could see to the um, Ravens right now is Lamar. Um, he's not necessarily that he's bad. He's sh- just showing that he's not a good passer. 
um, especially in these recent in these recent weeks where he has had clear touchdown options and just have has overthrown it or just I don't know what happened. I curse of the Madden, I guess, but uh, <laughs> but realistically, you know, it's it's not a good look on defense uh, on uh, Dallas. Oh, man, that run defense. Oh my God! To give you an idea. Out of this entire season, in terms of all the amount of run yardage given up, the first, second, and sixth games, so uh, for the most amount of yards, they gave up 300-plus to um, the Browns. They gave up 300-plus yesterday, uh, or close to it, and then uh, 270 against Arizona. I mean, that is historically bad. Like I don't know, I don't know if there's any team that come close to it because keep in mind across the board we're like a mid level defense, um, in terms of passing, but our run defense I think the next closest team is still like twenty or thirty yards less than us on average a game and that's awful. Um, our O line looked a little bit better, but the thing that's killing us is our special teams. Greg Zerline, I'm surprised at. All those misses, I'm surprised. You know, people are going to talk about Parker and his uh and his miss, uh, but Parker's only human. And same thing uh, with Zerline. But man, who gets a folk start call on a field goal? Like their own kicker. Like I'm and my trademark phrase of every week talk about the Cowboys is I'm always the hardest Cowboys critic as a fan. But man. Something needs to be done, and you, you can't blame John Fossil on this um, for special team issues because it's all lays down with the team, it's the players themselves. But you gotta, something's gotta give. I mean, to, for them to play as poorly as they have on all three sides of the ball, it, you know, realistically, this is a team that, if it wasn't for two fluky wins, right, is currently number two or number three. In the draft, they're currently number four, but they can easily be the number two in the draft. And coming into next week against the Bengals, I don't see them beating the Bengals. That's how bad they've been performing. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I want to talk about Baltimore quick. So, and even me and you talked about this back in August, about like, there's not a single game you look at their schedule and you'd be like, oh, well, that's a loss. You know, like most people, I'd say, were predicting these guys to have a puncher's chance of going 16-0. and Well... That hasn't been the case. They've got five losses on their schedule right now. But you now got a, the final quarter of the season here where it's four games, right? They got to go to Cleveland next Monday night or Monday night. Um, they got Cincinnati, Jackson, and the Giants left. So, I mean, <laughs> do with that what you will. But best case, honestly, the. Uh, Ravens, real. I'd say that Monday night's a must-win game in Cleveland for the Ravens if they want to make the playoffs. Yeah, which is crazy because I remember putting them as my number one because I just the chemistry that they had, even even though they had that tough loss in the playoffs, you know they still had the, the chemistry, and I felt like they were going to build on that. So to see them where they are now is surprising, and if they can play the ball like they did last night. Then they're, they will be fine. I definitely know that. Got to get Lamar to pass a little bit better. But it's they, hard. They could, they could very well finish 10-6. and six. 
Like, honestly, they probably can. Yeah, but I also can see them finishing. They're 7-5. and Oh, they uh, okay. Never mind. They yeah, can I, very I, well finish eleven and five. Uh, they can, but I can also see them going nine and seven. I can see I, them I, dropping I, to the Giants. I can see them dropping to the Browns, and in no way to drop to the Bengals. But Jacksonville, like we said earlier, you're looking at a team that you know may not be able to get it done, but one day it will click for them. Right. Yeah. Right. So. There, there's that, and um, talk about our playbook discussion. Yes, and uh, I would love for you to cover the offensive side because I'm, I love the defense. So on the offensive front of this, the Raiders obviously, um, it's 13 seconds left. We saw what Henry Ruggs did earlier in this game, and I think that this play pretty much sums up his uh, career thus far. Um, and just his game in general with uh, kind of up and down. You don't know what you're going to get. And, um, I mean, you can talk about the defense, but honestly, this is just, just mind-blowing to me. I remember walking out of the room and being like, I can't believe the Raiders just lost this game. Because I'm not like – I wouldn't say like I'm a huge Raiders guy, but I'd, I'd like to see the Jets uh, get a, you know, historic accomplishment, right? So um, – <laughs> Yeah, so I was a little disappointed because I expected, like, oh, this is over. And then I come to find out that the Raiders won. I was like, are you serious? And then when I see the play, I'm, like, just absolutely flabbergasted. But I, I, I just don't know what to make of it, so I'll let you handle the defensive side of the ball right now. All right, so looking at Greg Williams' history, right? Um, I'm not talking about the targeting on, uh, or the bounty system or any of his uh play calls as a head coach and – interim coaches, and as a defensive coordinator. I'm looking at this pure play call. Eight-man rush is not a bad idea. Eight-man rush in any situation is not a bad idea, but playing a cover zero is an absolute trash idea on on an eight-man rush. Absolute trash idea. You're looking at – you're going to play a three-man. You're going to play a three-man on an eight-man rush. You're looking – how? At its fundamental core, you're saying, I trust my receivers to be uh, smart enough to be able to uh, pick up these guys, even though we know we're getting the long ball. And especially when you had the looks, they only had three receivers out there, or uh, four receivers out there. So, you know, Derek Carr has flashes of brilliance, but Greg Williams has historically has played, has done heavy rushes. On, um, you know, on Hail Mary attempts and all that. But he's always at least played a cover one or a cover two. To see him go zero cover on this and to give up the touchdown they did, um, quite frankly, deserves. I mean, you're looking at historic. We mentioned about how we would love to see a historic season. But I don't think anyone really wants to see a team go zero and 16. Like, because it just shows that, like, like, could you imagine being those players? Imagine being. Donald and saying, you know, I actually played good for once, and then for ev- for the defense to slip up, like it's devastating. And for all props to run, Derek Carr for throwing a dime, uh, because that was that really was a great pass. It was a perfect lead, uh, and just so that he could break away and get that touchdown. 
Um, but uh, it's a shame that the Jets, you know, their season can probably be summarized by this individual. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's let's uh, end week 13 on that note. Uh, it was definitely eventful. I'll say that much. And now we're entering the last quarter of the season, dun, 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 which is the final four weeks where it, Wins become losses, and losses become wins. Um, so let's let's kick it off then with our rapid fire now to end this thing. Um, so Thursday, we're getting a Thursday game, folks. Thank gosh, right? Feels like forever since we've gotten the official titled. Because I know we had Thanksgiving games, which was on a Thursday, but I feel like it's felt like it's been two years since we've been able to say Thursday night football, like the actual tagline. Yeah. So. Which is yeah. great because COVID, COVID itself has been about 17 years at this point. So, right. So, yeah, but Thursday night's game features a rematch from one of, honestly, as a fan, probably the worst Super Bowl that I've ever watched. Honestly, <laughs> um, the worst. So the bar is set uh, pretty high when it, in the sense of, or no, the bar is set pretty low. So, um, yeah, so it's pretty uh, not too, you know, impossible to have a better game than what we saw a couple of years ago. And um, regardless of this outcome, there's one thing on the line right now, and that's Sean McVay's ego. Because, and we're not going to, like, break this full down in depthly, but one of the worst nights I can guarantee you in the life of Mr. Sean McVay had to have come in the Super Bowl because Belichick outclassed him, outcoached him, and just flat out embarrassed him. Like, honestly, for all the fireworks that we saw that year, especially in that Chief game, to come out and put up three points against New England in the Super Bowl was just probably the most embarrassing thing to uh, happen to Sean McVay and that offense. Um, So let's just do a rapid fire here. I'm going to pick the Rams in this one. Rams, definitely. There's Patriots looked amazing last week, but no way that Sean McVay is going to get embarrassed again. Tennessee at Jacksonville. I'm taking Tennessee. Bounce back game. Um, I'm going to say Tennessee as well. Minnesota at Tampa Bay, which is a pretty big game for both of these guys, but I'm going to take Tampa Bay. Yeah, Tampa Bay. Um, that's all I pick as well. Kansas City at Miami, another big one. I'm going to take the Chiefs. Uh, I have the Chiefs, but honestly, it's also going to be interesting because – um, you've had lesser defenses do well against the Chiefs. That, that, this actually could be a fun matchup, especially because it's in Miami. Um, I feel like the Dolphins match up well with the Chiefs, like with their corners. Yeah, definitely. Um, Denver at Carolina. I think I'm going to take Carolina here. I think the home field matters. Home field matters, and um, no, I think the Broncos really aren't going to impress in this one at least Houston at Chicago as much as it pains me to do this I'm going to take Houston Houston as well Arizona at the Giants I'm going to take the Giants man we are on the same wave wave like today because this Giants defense will probably hurt the Cardinals right Dallas at Cincinnati. To the dismay of you, 
I'm actually going to take Dallas. Yeah, um, I don't think the Cowboys have what it takes to win any more games this year. I think it's, um, you know, and it's no offense to Dallas. Uh, you will always be near and dear to my heart, um, Cowboys. But I think Bengals take this. And I think with that, it pretty much means that the Cowboys would move to the third um, third in the draft. Yeah. Indianapolis at Las Vegas, another big one. I'm going to take uh, Indianapolis, though. Yeah, um, Indy looks more composed than the Raiders have. New York Jets at the Seahawks. I'm going to take the Seahawks. <laughs> Seahawks are not going to let another New York team get by. <laughs> Green Bay at Detroit. You know what? No, nah, Green Bay. I mean, we've seen crazier things. Right, and I'm hoping we see another one, but I unfortunately can't pick for it. Um, Atlanta at the Chargers. I'm going to take Atlanta. Atlanta um, definitely looks better. I wouldn't be surprised if the actual Chargers actually get a win here. Neither would uh, I. Yeah, but I think Atlanta has a lot more going for them mentally because they've lost – Close games, not a fucking, part of my language, people, a blowout. <laughs> Washington at San Francisco, though. And honestly, I want to point this out because the San Francisco Niners are tough, right, despite their injuries. And I think that if this game was in, 40, in was it San Francisco, it could be a trap game for the Redskins, Washington football team. Um, but it's actually being played at Arizona again. So that's basically an evens the playing field. And for that reason alone, I think I'm taking Washington. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, you know, you, you, can't real, you can't bet on both teams to do exceptionally well. But you can also bet that home advantage would have played a part in this. And because they're not over in uh, the Bay Area, you ha- you're going to have to go with uh, uh, Washington for this. New Orleans at the Eagles. I'm taking the Saints. I believe this is also Brees' first week coming back. I could be wrong. He's he's um, by the minute call. But uh, regardless, I think the Saints walk away with a win here. Right. And this is a big one on Sunday night. Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Dun, dun, dun. I'm taking Buffalo. Let's go build. You know what I want to point out, too, before we uh, finish this thing off, is this is actually the first Sunday night football game that's going to be played in Buffalo since 2007. That's crazy. 13 years. Right. So I don't don't know if there's any fans in attendance, if any. I'm probably not. But still, I think that them as just a whole and just the city watching at home is just going to be jacked up for this one. Bill's Mafia, enjoy that. Right. Um, and Monday night, another big game. We got a bunch of them, it seems like, this week. Um, Baltimore is going to Cleveland. Yeah, and I have I'm Cleveland. Taking, I'm, yeah, I'm taking Cleveland here. I think that this is this is actually like a, another revenge game, I feel like, for the Browns because they got embarrassed week one. But I feel like that was a different – that feels like another lifetime ago because I feel like that was while the Browns have yet to find their confidence – and like identity, and that was the Ravens kind of like, oh well, you know, these we're supposed to destroy these guys. So I think like now, Cleveland's kind of looking at the Ravens like, yo, we're here, we're not gonna get pushed around. So 
Yeah, I'm taking uh, Cleveland. Yeah, and uh, with that, I think summarizes another week, right? Right, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, thanks again, and we'll see what happens. Yep, and uh, thank you all again for tuning in to the Untimed Down. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.